Hey family, and welcome to the Innocence Podcast. I am your host, Deja Vaughn. The Innocence Podcast promotes black consciousness and entrepreneurship with the motive to shift the narrative through highlighting exceptional achievements of our brothers and sisters across the diaspora. Stay tuned. This is shocking. It's always shocking. And I insist on being shocked. I'm never going to become immune. I think that's a kind of failure to see so much of it that you die inside. I want to be surprised and shocked every time. family and welcome into another episode of In Her Sense. Today we have the dedicated and incomparable Mark Grant. Mark is an advocate for African American people and eloquently states and stands for the rights and defends the rights of African Americans as well. He is a graduate of the Virginia State University, Hale State, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So come join us as we discuss the current conditions of black African Americans and how we are becoming aware of the need of compensatory justice. Stay tuned. All right, so welcome in, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Oh, how you doing? I am doing great. How about you, Daisy? I'm doing pretty good. Man, so where do we even start? Ah, so like how do you feel about the current political climate? Like in terms of black politicians, how do you feel like they're effectively helping the black community? Oh man. That is a good question. Um, I'll just be honest and straight to it. Uh, a lot of black politicians, they, you know, they sold out, you know, the black masses for their own personal gains and benefits um, and whatnot. You know, a lot of people like to talk about, like, you know, how uh, black Republicans are coon or black conservatives are coons. But, you know, you also got your, your, your black liberals, your black Democrat shills, um, the black left that does just the same amount of, you know, um, turning their back against, you know, black community and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, it's just like the thing, the main thing that's always practiced is, is this thing called illusion of, you know, the illusion of inclusion and um, the non-neglect. Um, and, you know, what I want to say about those two things is that, you know, with the illusion of inclusion, people, a lot of, you know, a lot of black people are bought in by symbolism, thinking that, you know, progress, you know, by being included in certain groups, um, while at the same time, you know, they're, you know, actually backtracking politically, mm -hmm. uh, socio, um, political, economic as well. And, you know, that's where the benign neglect comes in, where um, these politicians, you know, not even just the politicians, but like, you know, Congress, congressmen, all these people, you know, they say, you know, every time when it's like an election, when it's time to vote, they always say like, oh, yeah, you know. If you know, come vote because this is a this is a, an important election and your life depends on it. And you know, black people, black Americans show out in the numbers. You know, black Americans they're like swing voters. 
So they determine elections, just like how you've seen with the 2020 election and elections before that, um, how black people came out in the droves and voted, you know, dem- always voting Democrat. And once that Democrat uh, gets in office, they do nothing for black people. They do everything. They do everything for everybody else, but strictly nothing for black people. And, and that's what you just call benign neglect, where, you know what I'm saying, black people are being neglected of, you know, tangible <clears throat> resources, um, policies strictly for black people, specifically black Americans, um, and things of that nature. And it further, it pushes us further and further down to, you know, well, we're already underclass status, but it further mm-hmm. pushes us down to the bottom of the socioeconomic uh, ladder. Why everybody else is getting ahead was constantly held at the bottom while everybody else is getting a head start so mm-hmm. in regards to black politicians they like they sold out and they've been selling out since ever since dr king died in the 60s um just like you know the black pastors the black uh celebrities like just people they just been you know they've been in it to win it for themselves and not for mm-hmm. black people as a group mm-hmm. uh, and that's why when you see people like uh <sighs> What's his name? I can't think of his name right now, but just in general, like, you know, these black politicians always have a campaign saying that this is what I'm going to do for immigrants. This is what I'm going to do for LGBT. You know, these are, you know, these are like, you know, other groups that are not, you know, that don't pertain to like black people as far as like black people's interests are concerned. They say this is what they're going to do for everybody else except, you know, black people. They buy black people off on symbolism. Like saying, like, oh, well, you know, this is the first black uh, man in this in office, or this is the first black Supreme Court justice, and, you know, this is the first black woman Supreme Court justice. So it's just, you know, it's like they always have pe- black people chasing the rabbit. I mean, chasing the um, carrot. It's just like a, you know, carrot race and things of that nature. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, just, just selling out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they it's it's been going on for like decades, and and I think you know a lot of black uh, black Americans are starting to just see the con game, and they're not being so easily fooled and duped into thinking, okay, well, let's vote for him, but on the basis of you know skin color or you know because of oh well he he does some nice things or some good symbolic gestures. They're actually, you know, people, black people are actually starting to do their, you know, do their digging, doing their homework, their research, and seeing like, okay, well, what is this? Is this person for black Americans? Do they have any, you know, what policies are they promising to black Americans? What tangible benefits are they going to give to us when we vote them in the office? Because you got to think about it. Voting is quid pro quo. So if I get you in office, it has to be in exchange for something else for me putting you in office, like some policies um you know having um a, being a protected class of people mm-hmm. like the native americans mm-hmm. um you know reparations mm-hmm. uh, these things all these things but you know as you know look back in the, in the past that that has not been the case for black people in america it's always been yeah you know um you know if you're gonna get the first black this time the third um you got the first black president um, and things of that nature. So it's just always been, you know, just this history of like the, having the illusion of inclusion and benign neglect. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think also like the fact that Democrats don't really hold a lot of weight in terms of statewide like mm-hmm. in the U.S. Senate kind of thing. Right. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. So we think of Republicans, what kind of people are, do they typically look like? I mean, Republicans can, as it's like a concept and who's ever in that group is appealing to like some sort of classism in a sense. Right. So you, who are the what's the type of class that is economically speaking more advantage, mm-hmm. you know? Right. 
Mm-hmm. And then you think about, okay, what do those kind of people look like? Typically, if you look at even statistics, like, mm-hmm. you'll say that they're mainly white people. Right. So in terms of legislation and change, it's typically people. Mm-hmm. So like, when I personally see the Democrats speaking in the chamber, it's you're right. It's not about anything in terms of specifically black, like saying flat mm-hmm. out, this is for. But right. I also think it's a way in which they need to figuratively write language the same way that Republicans do, because that's mm-hmm. how they're receiving economic revenue and economic benefits and right. also political education. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just from that standpoint, if, if we wanted to look at it like that, but you're absolutely right. They don't write legislation specifically for black people. Right. And, like, it's not going to be flat out said either. Um, I just want to add to what you said. Uh, when Democrats, they try to speak to us or they try to say, this is for, you know, this is what's going to happen when you get, you know, get me in office. They always use these broad and ambiguous terms like people of mm-hmm. color, mm-hmm. disenfranchised community, poor mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. Um, minorities, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. anything you could think of that, you know, that excludes black people. Well, not excludes black people, but everybody else can just lump in and get, you know, a piece of the pie from when that Democrat gets in office and things of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's, it's okay, crazy. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So it's more so like, okay, we have specific leg- legislation for uh, people economically more advantaged, white yeah. people. But if we explicitly want to make legislation, we'll throw in those terms and we'll help those people and we'll say that, we oh, we helped y'all. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. So here's here's another example. <laughs> so let's go action. Right. Uh, yeah. ori- the original intent of affirmative action was to, you know, give black people a leg up with uh, uh opportunities and um and things of that nature. But there was a I think there was a uh a like a data report from I think the Census Bureau and things of that nature where they say, uh, this was back in 2013, and they say that white women benefit the most from affirmative, affirmative action. And so, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much with affirmative action, how that thing was written was that, oh, this is for minorities, this is for disadvantaged people, um, people who are oppressed, disenfranchised. So Yeah. And this is how, you know, people can play that, you know, word game, and they can come in, Right. the benefits that were originally originally meant for black people and they can take advantage and enjoy those uh, tangible benefits that were originally, you know, for black people. So, you know, that's just one, yeah. you know, when people write these policies <laughs> and things of that nature. So it's crazy. So, you, you, you know, you just got to pay attention. You got to um, understand, uh, I, I don't know, what is, I think it's called legalese, where how, like, you know, people phrase things, Mm-hmm. How they structure mm-hmm. sentences and stuff like that because mm-hmm. if you're not, you know, if you're not too careful, you can see right. something like, oh, uh, you know, oh, they, they talking about when they say uh, disadvantaged, uh, disenfranchised people or people of color, they talking about black people. No, right. they could be talking about Asians, Asian, Hispanics, right. white Arabs, women, anybody, anybody. So they you know, be talking about a lot of people. Exactly. So when it comes to these kind of things, when it comes to like policies. Mm-hmm. Specifically for Black Americans, we gotta, you know, have some that's like straight to the point and straight that applies only to us and for us. So, you know, that's why a lot of people have been kind of been doing this thing where you know they kind of delineate. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I'm a native Black, native Black American. I'm a descendant of slaves, mm-hmm. people who have, uh, who've been in the uh, United States before 98 percent of the immigrants that came in, and so. Because, you know, we've been here for, like, centuries, and, right. you know, we don't, you know, we own one half and one percent of the nation's wealth and resources. So it's just like, how have we been here this long when we haven't moved an inch as far as terms of, like, uh, economically, mm-hmm. um, politically? we just mm-hmm. been in the same spot. 
and mm-hmm. everybody else is getting ahead. So we're yeah. not really in the same spot. We're like still going descending further and further into the bottom because everybody else is getting ahead and we still stay right. here. So yeah, you know, yeah. See, yeah, I agree with that. I do agree with that. But what if I don't know. Never mind. I was gonna say like, what if sometimes like they skew statistics? They skew statistics. Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, like, what would go ahead? Go ahead. Like to kind of like on some psychological control shit. Like you always be down. You know? Yeah. Like because it's like. If we're saying that we've made no economic progression, what is that? What are we doing on our end to change that? Like, as a collective. And that kind of goes back to the politicians and Mm -hmm. who are the the people that are in quote unquote positions of power Mm -hmm. and what they're doing with that. Because everybody else gets in positions of power and there's no shame in their game. Right. They'll be flat out racist. Mm-hmm. And people will be cheering them on. Yes. Say it again. <laughs> Say that racist right. again, please. <laughs> like, right. But we in here giving a whole presentation on why we matter. Fuck that. We matter. Shit. Fuck out of right. here. We've been here. You exactly. know, like at the end of the day, scientifically, geographically, whether you like it or you don't, we've been here. Exactly. And even, like, I think, like, realistically, they haven't been there that long. So, oh, no. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, we've been here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you got to think about it. Like, like we literally, like, built this country. Right. At least, you know, with, you know, the slave labor with mm-hmm. the slave labor produced the um this country's mm-hmm. economic engine mm-hmm. for this country to be like one of the richest nations in the world mm-hmm. and we still haven't seen the fruits of our labor from that you know everybody right. else is you know getting a piece of the pie except black americans yeah and i wanted to i wanted to uh go back to what you said about you know people skewing the data mm-hmm. uh, um changing the numbers and stuff like that um, I actually was um, listening to one of my favorite favorite uh, YouTubers. Uh, his name is Professor Black Truth, and mm-hmm. he actually came out with a video saying how, like, the Associate Associate Press was saying that you know the census of Black people, like, as population wise, mm-hmm. like, is more than you know what they say it is. They say they, yeah. they try to say that we're 14% of the population, yeah. but it's, it's starting to show that we're probably like 3% more, mm-hmm. uh, 17, 18% of the population. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, black people are, you know, getting grown in large numbers in small, smaller cities and stuff like that. So yeah. So you're right. You're really right about that. They just didn't want to admit that they didn't yeah. want to say that you know, black people is, this is really not the actual number of, of the black populations. It's more than what we say it is, but, right. you know, we're going to play these mind games with y'all to make, make, it think, make it think like y'all shrinking in population, Absolutely. y'all not progressing and yeah. things of that nature. And yes. I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy because, mm-hmm. you know, I always thought that it was just always, you know, what it, facts? you know, yeah, I always thought that yeah. it was always 13, 14% of the population, oh, yeah. but, you know, and I'm just like, dang, like, we've been this kind of, this same, the same size of, uh, you know, the same population for, like, since forever. And, like, something is weird about that. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, what's going on? And then, later, you know, later comes out, oh, well, you know, we kind of been uh, messing with the numbers and, you know, making it seem like y'all really a small percentage, but actually y'all, y'all are growing in numbers. Even though, you know, this, uh, this system, this white supremacist system is oppressing you, um, subjugating you by all means any tactic possible and we, we, you know you'd be fooled to think that you know like we're decreasing the numbers but yeah you know they so you're kind of right about that they they kind of do uh, skew data to mm-hmm. um you know try to manipulate the minds into thinking like oh dang well this is crazy i can't believe we're still the same uh 
population percentage since like the last two, three hundred years. <laughs> so, but yeah. And I think it's also how we look at data too. Mm-hmm. Like, is the data that we're getting, and I don't mean just like you and I, but like the the black masses, the black mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. What are they eliciting? when they use this data, like when they loosely say it, maybe in a conversation or um, a presentation that they're doing for mm-hmm. um, at a university or um, a YouTube clip, like how are they utilizing that data to say their opinion about this? But if you actually look at the data and you look at, the black masses that actually voted, you'll see mm-hmm. that it's never everybody. Because I didn't get a vote. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't remember filling out nothing. Right. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I, I mean, I personally don't remember filling out. A, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just, okay, so who are you collecting the data from? Right. How are you collecting the data? Are you collecting the data in each county? Are mm-hmm. you collecting the data in each state? Whose state? You know, how are you comparing the data? How are you adding it all up nationally? Right. How are you developing your opinion? Mm. Like, how do you find everybody? Are you including homeless people on there too? (laughs) You know, like, these are actually, like, legitimate questions that you can question data. Like, how are you collecting this? Mm. So it could be from a small population of people, and Mm -hmm. that is skewed completely. And is data ever really going to be to the capacity of where it's everybody? No. No, because you're not going to count homeless people. (laughs) And that's fucked up. But Mm -hmm. it is the political world that we live in, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. That's true. Uh, you make a good point. Um, I think, you know, it could be, it can be, sometimes it can be skewed, but I think sometimes, you know, when people do the, you know, reports and their st- statistics on everything, I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, they would be lying about everything because then nobody right, yeah. would trust the media. But it's certain, it's certain aspects where they try to tweak the numbers to give people this impression, this false mm-hmm. impression that, this is what's really going on. But I think right. the, the end game of it is to try to uh, have, you know, manipulate the minds of people into thinking a certain kind of way so they can fulfill some kind of agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes when the media gets like a hold of certain things, they kind of mm-hmm. take it even a step further. Um, I feel like that was extremely evident in like the 60s um, when uh, political media was popularized Mm -hmm. in a sense. Because you had the death of Martin Luther King, you had the Mm -hmm. death of Malcolm X, you had the Birmingham bombing, you had John F. Kennedy assassination. Mm -hmm. I mean... You had a lot of things going on. Yeah, the sixties <laughs> was crazy. Like, yeah, they, they, that time was very ruthless in terms of like, oh yeah, political activism, black consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even progressing like to the eighties, um, mm-hmm. to the move bombing, and mm-hmm. then you go all the way back to. the Black Wall Street and Tulsa, Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. several other things. Right. <laughs> so it's not like you're right. Like it's not like we haven't progressed and like developed our own. Like right. we were just talking about PG County. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Mm-hmm. And I live in Atlanta, you know, mm. and like there, yeah. there was West Oakland, and there's Oakland, like. There's so, several cities that still stand still in terms of right. like black progression, but in terms of equity and social economics, it is mm-hmm. a challenge. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, 
I think that's the one thing that we need to have mastery on is our economics. Now, it's, you know, it's understood that anytime black people try to practice group economics, mm-hmm. they're always um, somehow, you know, they're always subjugated, they're always uh, stopped by, uh, you know, these policies. Either, you know, it'd be like the if it was a city getting burned down, uh, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, or it'd be these uh, racist policies, like the Highway Act, where you know it was black, black uh, towns and cities, and um, the president came up with this uh, Highway Act for them to build highways out through the cities, and and that in, you know that in turn kind of destroyed those black communities. So. You know, where you know, black people are always targeted because they know, you know, that the potential that, that we have if we're just left to our own devices. Um, and that could be, you know, that could be said after, you know, after slavery back in 1865, mm-hmm. when we were, um, you know, emancipated, um, you know, black, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, you posted this fact, but, you know, black people, black Americans, illiter- illiteracy, uh, rate was like 98 percent and then and, and they cut that in half in 30 years you know they educated them uh, they had you know we educated ourselves faster than any um group racial group in america and even throughout the world you know and um so it's just like when we're you know when we're not being oppressed by this white supremacist system um mm-hmm. We're not being subjugated. We're not being disenfranchised. Um, when we're left to our own devices, like we do some crazy, powerful stuff. Yeah. You know, you could look at the, you know, black communities, uh, affluent black communities back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. How we, you know, we had our own stuff. You know, we right. had our own businesses, mm-hmm. uh, communities. Our community was structured in line. And then, you know, once, you know, people saw that, they were like, oh, we got to do something about this. You know, we thought y'all was just going to die off because you <laughs> left y'all to yourselves. Mm-hmm. But, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we got to step in and, you know, kind of uh, cut off the economic uh, boom and stuff like that. So, you know, anytime, you know, back in those days, like the 20s, you know, and, you know, the uh, 19, the, the 20th century, you know, a lot of black people was getting, and a good a good percentage of the black people who were who, who did get lynched were business owners, mm. and people who own you know land and stuff like that mm-hmm. to stop that economic pro- progression. Mm-hmm. So it's just like by all means, like they know mm-hmm. because once you have your own economic infrastructure, you can't be harmed. You know, mm-hmm. um, what, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Black has said, uh, you know. You know, they hate us because we're black, but they're able to harm us because we're poor. So, mm. you know, that's something to think about. You know, when you think about that, uh, it's, it's also, it's another thing like, you know, when, you know, when white people uh, catch a cold, black people catch pneumonia. And, yeah. <laughs> and the reason why is because we don't have no um, infrastructure in place to protect us from like things such as like, uh, as you can see, like the AIDS epidemic and the uh, East, uh, you know, natural disasters like Hurricane Katrina, um, even, you know, the pandemic, you know, like we're, we're always at the bottom and we're, you know, we're vulnerable, we're defenseless when these kind of things happen because we don't have that that structure in place to, you know, shield us mm-hmm. from, you know, all these crazy, you know, all this, all these things that happen. And, you know, yeah. So, you know, we're just really in a vulnerable state. We've yeah. always been in a vulnerable state. We've been like that for a while now. Yeah, I agree. But my thing is, it's not like it hasn't been developed, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. It's been demolished. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. You know, to the point where each generation kind of has to pick up the pieces to put it back yeah. in place. And oh, then yeah. the next generation has to pick up the pieces and put it back in place. And the yeah. next generation has to pick up the pieces and put it back in place. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I agree with you. Um, I think that's like the most radical part about it. Yeah, and it's exhausting. It's tedious. 
Because, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be like, I'll be damned. I got to start from scratch because my, <laughs> you know, my peoples ain't, you know, leaving none. Now, I will say that um, we, I, I do like to take some self-accountability on our part. But mm-hmm. uh, everything we do try to do, like, it always been demolished. It's always been, you know, you know, our community's always been burnt down or they've been destroyed by these policies. But mm-hmm. some, you know, our parents and our parents before that, um, they didn't leave us with nothing. I guess they didn't have this understanding of like, you know, building and accumulating wealth to pass mm-hmm. it down to your kids. And so your kids can um <clears throat> your kids can can, you know, your kids can pass down to their kids' kids and stuff like that. Like, you know, you always hear these stories about, you know, your grandma, your great grandma, grandpa selling their land, you know, for like some some um bucket change and stuff like that. And, you know, for like a little quick, fast cash. And they wasn't thinking about the the, the long-term effects of having mm. this property and land and, you know, over time passing it down to your kids so, you know, they can develop it and stuff like that. But, you know, right. that's another reason why, you know. Sheesh. Yeah. yeah. Gentrification is just such a big deal. It is. You know, for, you know, black people. It because is. once you, you know, once you start going into you know, later down in the 20s, 30s, you know, it, you're not only going to have, like, gentrified uh, cities, you're going to have gentrified states where black people are going to be kicked out of states completely because they don't own anything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just something, you know, we, we got to think about. Um, so, <clears throat> but yeah, you know, I agree mm-hmm. with you. Like, yeah. anything we try to build, you know, it's always been demolished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and at the same time, like, our, our, our parents and our parents' parents wasn't thinking about, you know, building, you know, building wealth um, for the kids, saving up. They, you know, would, you know, had the, you know, had the plans, you know, blowing their money on, you know, all kinds of crazy things. But so let's say like during the civil rights, um, the civil rights movement. Um, no, you know what? Actually, um, let's talk about the board. You know, board versus the board of uh, Brown versus the board of education. Where initially, that lawsuit was for like you know black you know black people you know for black schools to have equal funding. It was never about you know desegregation and black kids going into white schools and stuff like that. It was always about having you know equal opportunities like equal funding um getting you know getting resources to help build a black schools but then you had the NAACP that stepped in and they changed it from that to oh well we know we got to talk about integration we got to you know integrate these black kids into you know these white schools mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then once that happened that had like a devastating effect on you know the black schools like teachers principals they were fired um, I say like 20, I don't know, I think it's 25% of black kids that went into white schools and the other 75%, they was put in special ed. Well, I think it's the other way around. I think 25% of uh, the black kids were put in special ed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, you know, just like, like we had it, but, you know, it, it certain, you know, certain people came in and were like, nah, we need to, we need something we need to be with these these people. We need to integrate instead of pushing for, you know, economic justice mm-hmm. and empowerment for our own communities. And, you know, I know a lot, you know, the civil rights generation, they get a lot of praise, but that's where they dropped the ball because they chose immigration over um, economic empowerment for their own communities or equity. And that's when it just kind of just went downhill from that point on, because, you know, you had the silent generation, the World War II generation, you know, they, they love, you know, they love being in their own communities, but then, you know, it, it, it just kind of changed when the civil rights generation came in the picture and they was pushing for integration. And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, you know, the civil rights generation, you know, they, 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 they put in words. They was out in the streets, um, mm-hmm. you know, when, you know, after Martin Luther King died, mm-hmm. you got all these riots, um, mm-hmm. you know, they was out, it was, it was crazy. And the thing about it is that, uh, it's like, we only, we only know like a, like a fraction of the truth because, you know, they, they're allowed to say that, you know, um, 
we got, you know, we was beat up and we suffered peacefully and, you know, white people felt bad. So, you know, they allowed immigration and this, that, and the third. And I'm just like, that's kind of weird. But when you, you know, <laughs> right? look into it, yeah. That narrative is really weird. Yeah. like That narrative at, is very mm-hmm. weird. Exactly. <laughs> like, look at John Lewis, you know, like he was saying that he got, uh, <laughs> that the police, you know, beat him up, you know, on, on Ad, Ad, Admin Pettis Bridge and he thanked him for it. And I'm just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? When you really look into that, like, I heard it was like a lot of shit going down, like crazy shit, like black people was doing all kinds of crazy shit. They were sending um, bombs to like, White houses, they like they was really like pending that work. Like they they took you know producing justice. They took matters into their own hand. Yeah. And that's when you know the table, the policies got put on the table is when black people got in the streets and started raising hell. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shoot, you know what I'm saying? This could be devastating. So you know that's when you know Lyndon B. Jo- uh, <clears throat> Lyndon um, B. Johnson um, put the civil rights bill on the table. The, you know, the Immigration Act of 1965, where, you know, we got more black immigrants to come in than ever before, because back then there wasn't, you know, letting any old kinds of immigrants, because they, you know, before 1965, you was getting, you know, um, radical Im- uh, black immigrants like Marcus Garvey, Kwame Ture, you know, them folk. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, um, after that bill, um, they started letting in more black immigrants. Those facts. Those yeah. are facts. Um, yeah. Where do you... Do you see the same... Like, radical behavior now, the way that people protest? <clears throat> I feel like... um it's still there, you know, as you can, you know, you can see from like um, the 2020 uprisings from, you know, when George Floyd got killed on camera or, you know, the whole thing with Mike Brown, Ferguson, um, Freddie Gray um, in Baltimore. It's, it's still there. Um, but I think that I think the thing about black people, you know, you know, we sometimes we can be consistently inconsistent. You know, you know, once we get somewhere, we like to just, you know, kick our feet up and relax when, you know, things start to look good. But mm-hmm. and that's where we kind of just slack off. Like we got to until, you know, we get to a place where, you know, until we actually get to the finish line. But, you know, we try to kick our feet up on the, at the checkpoint and stuff like that. So. I, I do think that, you know, that radicalism is still there, but um, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's still there. Um, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a little tame. It's not like how, how it was back in, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the 60s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Especially, um, um, yeah, have you ever heard of uh, the Miami riot in 1980? No. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, same situation, you know, a black dude gets killed by the police and black mm-hmm. people raise so much hell, so much, uh, <clears throat> you know, so much um, craziness that they were just, you know, just, just killing anybody. Well, I ain't gonna say like killing anybody, but they were just, you know, just, just raising all kinds of hell. They were just finding random white people beating them up and, you know, beating them up and stuff like that until they, you know, until uh, they were killed and stuff like that. And, um, it you know it calmed down, but you know that's when the government stepped in and felt like you know they gotta do some kind of thing to kind of like you know tame black people, and they thought about pushing drugs into the streets or you know into black communities and stuff like that to keep them you know <clears throat> um, not sober to you know and things of that nature to you know to keep their mind off of what's really going on to offer an escape and some reality and stuff like that. Because, you know, when you're, you know, when you're not so, you're not focused. So, but yeah, you, um, yeah, look into that because I never heard of that. I thought that was just kind of crazy. Yeah. Like how many riots don't we know about? Exactly. Kind of thing. Like we, I feel like, again, we only know the skewed percentage of, of things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but why is that? You know, 
why oh. like the intentionality which I mean I know you and mm-hmm. I both know why but <laughs> yeah it's it's um ironically interesting yeah think about it um you know you got this thing with critical race theories where they want to <laughs> take all the you know take out black history yeah Any, you know that that makes you know white people you know feel kind of bad about what happened in the past so yeah. think about it um it's yeah. kind of like um i forgot his name it's it's an author it's kind of like uh george or- orwell's book uh 1984 okay. where you know they're living in this um society where everybody's just completely brainwashed miseducated and the the powers that be made it that way so they could you know tame and control the masses mm. um so and the way they did that was by um <clears throat> controlling, you know, the education system, having everybody believe that this was reality when it really wasn't, and this is what happened in the past and that really didn't happen. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, it's getting to that point where they just want to, you know, get rid of black history, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, um, in schools, because yeah. they, you know, they don't want white people to feel bad. Yeah, and it's literally that. And that's crazy. <laughs> and it goes back to what we first initially said. Who are the people in power? Who mm-hmm. are the economically advantaged people? Mm-hmm. What type of legislation are they specifically going to produce for their people? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's fast huh? stuff. That's, That's literally fast. what it is. Like, honestly, I'm here to tell you. That's what it is. Like, they get in those positions, they get into these chambers, they become state senators and representatives, they push out legislation on the state end, right? Mm -hmm. Then you go to national and they they have still senators and representatives Mm -hmm. pushing out stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Then you got the top head. (laughs) So if everybody in there is a part of the economically advantage group, what type mm-hmm. of legislation are they going to put? Right. Um, I was just... Oh, go that's ahead. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, anything, anybody that's in Congress, you know, that's in the political sphere, um, they're only there to maintain the status quo. They're never there to challenge it. They're only there to uphold it. And that includes black politicians and black Congress um, congressmen and people. They're not going to challenge the status quo because they'll be outed out and, you know, thrown out that uh, that class, that political class. You know, yeah. that's why you don't really get a lot of, you know, radical politicians like uh, Marion Barry, you know, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been so long and, you know, mm-hmm. people are just so used to, you know, black politicians and black elected officials are just so used to just selling people out, black people out and, you know, pushing everybody else's agenda and stuff like that while you know where you know we become easily duped by symbolism and we you know start voting for that politicians off the basis of skin color or you know because they went to this HBCU or they're because they're part of my fraternity or you know they from you know the streets they're from this part of town like I am you know just based off of that kind of stuff but it's never be like what policy what, what policies what tangible benefits are you pushing for black Americans? You know, mm-hmm. if black Americans put you in office, what are they mm-hmm. going to get in return? You know, um, voting, like I said before, voting is, is quid pro quo, like something for something. Like if I put you in office, um, mm-hmm. I need, you know, some tangible, you know, something tangible in my hands. Like it's, it's transactional. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, because they can go up and be sly and give people money Mm -hmm. or help out a certain corporation. Right. (laughs) Exactly. They do it every day. (laughs) Exactly. They do it every day. They support their businesses every day. Mm Mm-hmm. But we not supporting our own. Right. We not going to bat for as hard. You know, so that uh, exactly. that question it just must be answered. Exactly. 
Um, I'm also. Of, go ahead, my bad. No, you good. <clears throat> oh yeah, I just you know I was gonna say. I would also like to add another thing, like, you know, when, you know, black people, you know, when we, you know, make our own black businesses, we're always being targeted by the system. Like, you know, a lot of black, you know, black businesses go out, go, you know, a lot of black owned businesses go out of business because they felt some kind of inspection or they felt some kind of a rating and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, they all try to target, you know, um, black businesses because they know that's where uh potential for economic growth is what happened you know you take a look at uh manson tennessee um you know small black town and the uh the controller is trying to just uh cut off the economic boom from that um city and stuff like that and and once that happens then that opens the door for gentrification because, um, you know, black people can't afford to stay in that, that town and people buy up all the property or they raise the, the, the housing rates, the, the property rates and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just always something where we, we can't be left to our own devices or we just can be left alone by this system, this white supremacist system that always trying to target black people. Yeah. That is very true. Well said. So what's some of the books that you're like, that you get majority of, well, not even majority. Let me not say that because <laughs> I don't think that's realistically a person <laughs> like, just like reading and just collecting data and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what are some of your favorite books? Um, I definitely like to say, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, he's one of my favorite authors. Um, I've yes. read several of his books. Um, mm-hmm. Black Labor, White Wealth, Poweronomics, mm-hmm. A Black History Theater. Yep. Um, I actually got his book package, and, you know, it was two books that was included, uh, Dirty Little Secrets and Dirty Little Secrets 2, um, that I haven't read. I didn't even know he had those books, but um, <clears throat> he's actually one of my favorite authors. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just like to read novels, um, you know, and things of that nature, but you know, I definitely read a lot of uh, uh, black scholars like um, Nellie Fuller, um, <clears throat> Dr. Wilson, Amos Wilson, Chancellor Williams, John Henry Clark, you know, just to you know get some understanding of you know my reality as you know as a black person. Mm. Um, I'll, you know, I like to read, like I said, I like to read novels as well, or like history books, or, you know, books about like war, like, um, things of that nature. So, you know, I like to read a little bit of everything. Yeah, so I think, uh, we read kind of the same books in terms of, <laughs> of authors. Mm-hmm. I think the only person I haven't read is, um, Chandler. Who? Chandler? Uh, you talking about Chancellor Williams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, his book, uh, what's it called? The, the Destruction of Black Civilization. Um, <clears throat> I just kind of think that, you know, well, you, you never read that book, right? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. But so I've, just, seen, I've yeah. seen it so many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that book, you know, it pretty much, you know, talks about, like, the downfall of, like, you know, Ancient Egypt, you know, mm. you know, which was Kemet. Um, and, you know, Kemet was full of black people. They like right. to try to say that, you know, black people didn't really build pyramids and stuff like that. They really you know, these, say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they try to, you know, say that Dang. it wasn't really black people that, you know, that really lived in Egypt. But, I mean, how can I, how can I be true when, right. you, know, you know, the cradle of civilization started in Africa? Right. And, you know before any other color came into existence, it was black people. Mm-hmm. So does it, you know, it's not adding up. Now, in that book, they do try to say that um, how, like, the Eurasians came in and they couldn't, you know, <clears throat> um, take over, you know, just that quick or in, in an instant. They had to, you know, meticulously plan out how they was going to conquer, you know, Egypt. And mm-hmm. and that you know and that was a plan that took centuries mm. to uh, go into action. And mm. the way they did it was, 
you know, they came as, you know, friendly people. They started mm-hmm. integrating with the, the black uh, Egyptians mm-hmm. and, you know, started, you know, having, you know, interracial um, <clears throat> babies and kids and stuff like that. And then it got to a point where it was a, a good portion of critical mass of like the biracial uh, people mm-hmm. who turned against the, the black people of that land. And that's how they were able to push in slowly push in as your way into that um, civilization mm-hmm. and conquer it. So, you know, it's really interesting. Mm. It's a lot, you know, interesting stuff, mm. you know. Good, That's um, pretty deep. Yeah, good book for um, history. Based on that, you could sort of say, like, maybe it was, well, not even maybe, it was the intent to yeah. psychologically control like that because it was planned mm-hmm. and it was thought out. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was executed oh yeah um just like you know that's why you know when that book kind of reminds me of our condition that we're in today like with how you know over time you know these policies and procedures that don't benefit black people that actually you know are a great detriment to us Mm -hmm. how over time it's kind of been you know manifesting itself like um you know with gentrification you know, with you know immigration, um, all these all these factors, where that kind of you know, kind of lock and box black people out of wealth and resources. So you know, with DC, you know, back in the seventies, DC used to be the chocolate city. You know, because the uh, the black population there was like seventy eight percent, and now it's like 40, 42 or forty three percent, and you know that came from. Um, you know, that came from everything like like gentrification, the black people having to, being pushed out of D.C. and they moving into uh, PG County, Maryland. And, you know, mm-hmm. that became like a affluent area and things of that nature. So, but yeah, you know, it, it these things, we don't see it, you know, we don't see it happening now, but like in the near future, you know, um, down further on down the line, you know, our kids and our kids' kids don't have to bear that, you know, that that uh, rude reality of where we are. If, you know, we don't take, you know, take any action and realize that, you know, this is, you know, come, you know, come to reality and, you know, in truth that, you know, we're in a really um, <clears throat> perilous uh, position and uh, we need to do something about it. We need to take action. Hmm. How would you say that you're taking action? Um, I think first and for, uh, first and foremost, we need to have we need to establish a code of conduct in the uh, in black society in, in the black community. Um, and then from that point on, we need to have a group self interest. And, you know, and that's just the start of it. And we need to, you know, we need to have a, an awakening, like a reality check. And, you know, just acknowledging the problem that we face. And then from that point on, we can start to maneuver <clears throat> to our own benefit. We can start, you know, demanding policies as a group and start, uh, Vote in within our own interests and things of that nature. That's you know the first you know critical you know I want to say like it's building our economic base uh, and things of that nature. But just you know really not living in the, the black masses not living in thinking, oh, well, you know, life is good. Everything is cool, you know. Hmm. Thing is gravy. Ain't nothing going on. You know, ain't no racism. racism. Ain't no, no uh, hmm. let me see. Ain't mm-hmm. nothing that's you know, no. holding me back. Be good. And then, you know. Hmm. They, they hit that, you know, get that reality mm-hmm. check and it's not, not it's like, oh, okay. yeah, you know, like this, like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Black, Black power, no. <laughs> Black first, you know what I'm saying? Ultimately, I believe that we need to 
the first step is just acknowledging the position that we're in and establishing a code of conduct. And pretty much what I say about that is, you know, us, you know, as black people being on the same page and, you know, not acting against our own interests, who do act against the own, their own interests of black people, um, there's consequences for that, you know, cons- consequences and repercussions. And that's how you enforce a code of conduct because that's what every racial ethnic group does, you know, whether it's the Asians, um, Russians, Italians, Germans, um, Koreans, they have a code of conduct, they have a solid code of conduct where if one person acts against the interests of the community, they get exiled, excommunicated because, like, what you doing? Like, how is this benefiting us? You know, you're going against, you know, you're going against the code you know, and things of that nature. So I think that's one thing that we need to do. That's, I think that's the, you know, one of the important steps to uh, make first. And another way of taking action is just uh, demanding, you know, reparations for, um, you know, um, black people who are descendants of American slaves because, you know, like I said earlier, um, we only own one half of 1% of the nation's wealth and resources and, it would take um, 200 years for us to catch up, you know, to, you know, get caught up with white people. It would take what? 200 years. That's not years. even that long. Yeah. 250, yeah, 200, 250 years. But you got to think, you 250 you know, years? Yeah. Two, well, two, I think it's 200 to 250 years. But okay. you got to think about it. Like, you know, a lot can change within 200, 250 years. Right. So, but, you know, this is why, you know, there needs to be... Um, Drastic. Yeah, there needs to be um, um, uh, what is it? There, there needs to be a a, a a correction plan for the maldistribution of wealth, mm-hmm. and you know, and things of that nature. But yeah, that's most true. Definitely, that's very true. Because if you think about it, two hundred to two hundred and fifty years. How many generations is that? Like five. Like. Maybe eight, seven, shoot. But my thing is, you know, technology keeps advancing. You know, the world keeps advancing. So it's rapidly advancing than it ever has in the past. The the last one to 200 years is rapidly advancing. And so where are we going to be? You know what I'm saying? Where, Where are we going to be within that 250, you know, 200 to 250 years? You know, are we... You know, are we still going to be here as black people? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, not, you know, not just try to sound like a, a downer, but, you know, there's no, you know, law, you know, in the universe that guarantees our survival and our existence. How? 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 It, <laughs> I mean, it's just, that's just, you know, you've seen it. Well, I ain't going to say you've seen it, but, you know, it's been, you know, uh, ethnic groups that have been wiped off the the um the face of the earth like um but are they black yeah the the uh, what's the, what's it called the Twa people mm-hmm. the black people the indigenous black people in Australia yeah mm-hmm. you know it can like I'm not I ain't trying to sound like pessimistic but like that can actually happen if we don't take matters into our own hands you know mm. there's nothing that's gonna you know I'm there's nothing in the universe that says that that guarantees our survival as a race, you know, or as okay. black people. So, okay. you know, that's something we really got to think about. We can't just be thinking, oh, you know, uh, stuff is sweet. You know, everything is gravy. Nah, we mm-hmm. really got to take it serious because, you know, look at, you know, look at how we were back in the 50s as opposed to today. You know? Solid, yeah, you know, black communities and mm-hmm. <clears throat> from you know we have functional you know more functional communities uh than we had today and it's just like i just think that we got to get serious and we got to you know stop being so delusional about our situation so i definitely um could see the the whole wiping out thing. Yeah. Um, I forgot who it was. I think maybe his last name is Frazier. Mm-hmm. She was um, 
speaking on that as well, um, in terms of economics. Mm-hmm. But even on a further tip of the institutional racism, right. you know, got to get into how being occupied and how fresh fruits and vegetables is being occupied. What are people getting in terms of farming and produce? Who is the individuals that are packaging or labeling meat and how are we consuming it as a people as well? Because that is economic racism at best. Mm -hmm. You know, that's there's so many different facets of institutional racism beyond Mm -hmm. just what they discuss. Right. Um, Yeah, you make a really good point. You know, it was one point where, you know, we had a lot of black farmers and Mm -hmm. then, you know, over time, those black farmers got kicked off, you know, got uh, ran out, kicked off the land and stuff like that. They gave it to other, they gave it to white farmers and, you know, and I think it was it was a bill that, you know, that they were trying to pass to, you know, give uh, black farmers, you know, incentivize black farmers. But, you know, mm-hmm. I think that they 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 got the short end of the stick. And it's just like, you know, that's just a form of economic deprivation to just kind of just starve them out until they can't, you know, keep up, you know, keep up with the farming and stuff like that. Um, as far as like, you know, nutrition and diet, you know, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because um, I, don't, I, I kind of been, um, it's this book called How to Eat to Live by Elijah Muhammad that I mm-hmm. bought. And um, pretty much, you know, you know how like Muslims in the nation of Islam, they don't eat pork. They don't, um, they don't eat certain foods. One thing that I found out, you know, that was interesting to me um, that I read from this book is um, eating one meal a day. Yes. Like, People be thinking that I'm crazy. I literally eat one meal a day. Yeah. Intentionally. So, you know, when I read that, I'm, that blew my mind because, you, know, you know, I like to get my grub on from time to time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll be trying to, you know, practice um, what's in the book because, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of what he said, you know, is actually true. You don't want to keep, you know, taxing your stomach. You don't want to keep feeding your stomach with all these meals throughout the day. Um, And, you know, it's it's a good way to, you know, stay, um, stay from being sick or being ill and stuff like that. Hmm. You know, if you, you know, if you were to fast, like, and, and that's just not eating one meal a day. That's like maybe eating a meal every 48 hours or 72 hours. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that, you know, this is something, you know, that the black Muslims, you know, the, the people in the nation of Islam practice when they fast. So, you know, I just thought, kind of thought that was just kind of interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> just, you know, one meal a day. And I'm just like, one meal a day? I need, <laughs> I need three hots. You know, I need three meals. But, you know, I, you know, it's, it's more of a, I took it as more of a discipline aspect of it. Yeah. You know, you're training your stomach, you're training your mind to be, you're training your mind to be disciplined and you're training your body to accept uh, eating a meal at this certain period of time. If it's like, you know, you eat a meal once a day, let's say the time you eat the meal is at four or five o'clock and you don't eat nothing else after that until five o'clock tomorrow and five o'clock the day after. Yeah, I think that is definitely about discipline and training your mind, Mm -hmm. most importantly. So, yeah, you know, I'm actually um, glad you brought that up because I just, you know, thinking about um, nutrition and, and, you know, one meal is, is real simple. You don't mm-hmm. gotta, you know, think about what you're gonna have with three with three meals. You gotta think about what you're gonna cook for right. breakfast, lunch, <laughs> dinner. But with one meal, it's just simple. All right, so this is what we have for dinner, mm-hmm. um, and and you, you know, think about 
you control what you, you know, um, what you're eating and digesting. Right. So it's just a real simple, you know, it's real simple and it's economically feasible too. You know, exactly. you don't waste a lot of money on groceries or, you know, going out to eat and stuff like that. You actually right. save a lot of money. You know, right. one of my LBs, uh, he, he, he does it too. And he said he was spending like $50 on groceries a month. Yeah, I believe so. it. And then like, <laughs> if you eat like, maybe like throughout the day before you eat your main meal, you eat a piece of fruit. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Or have right. a smoothie. Right. Just simple things. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to like consumerism and um, capitalism at best. Because mm-hmm. we're kind of trained to eat like this. And you look at other countries, they don't eat the way we do. Right. They do not eat the way we do. That's true. Well, Mark, it was really nice to have you on In Her Sense. Go ahead and drop your information where people can find you. Um, well, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. My, uh, you know, it's the same at um, The Mind of MG, um, you know, T-H-E-M-I-N-D-O-S-M-G. You know, you can just follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I don't really be on Instagram like that, like I used to. But, you know, I'll be on Twitter and, you know, I tweet, uh, you know, how I feel, my thoughts about certain things. And sometimes I'll be in the Twitter spaces, giving my opinions on certain uh, topics and subjects. So, yeah, you know. And, you know, I follow back and things of that nature. (laughs) Shout out to you then. <laughs> All right, thanks again, Mark. Oh yeah, it's How a pleasure. Feel? So good, you know. That was, you know, good conversation, good discussion. Um, okay. That, you know, that's really thought provoking, and you know, really gets you thinking about stuff. Okay, good. We definitely could have went longer, but your girl <laughs> is tired. <laughs> and, I understand. But that. we could definitely, definitely chat again because we didn't even touch religion, and that could be oh, another man. four. That could be another hour. Oh yeah, religion. We didn't Sheesh. even talk. We didn't talk about Tariq. <laughs> we didn't talk oh, yeah. about a lot of stuff. But we'll oh, get yeah. to it another time. Oh yeah, you know, just let me know. I'm down for it. All right, sounds good. Have a good night. You too, Deja. <laughs>